Good morning to you. Well, that was okay. Good morning to you. Thank you, Lake Mary. So good to be with you guys. I always enjoy coming up here. I just uh, have a great time. I love the worship, and uh, we've already had a great time here. So thanks for being so loving and welcoming. I appreciate that. We were out as a family um, a few days ago. I think it was uh, Fourth of July weekend in, in our near our home, and my son was in. And we sat down at a, at a restaurant, and a waiter came up and. Uh, you know, you, they begin to, to sort of assess us, and, uh, and he greeted us, and we greeted him back, and we said, uh, how are you today? And uh, he answered, young, young kid, he answered, I'm living the dream, right? Living the dream. You ever, ever say that to people? I'm living the dream. It's like, okay, uh, waiter, that's the highest calling you got. That's the dream you got. Good for you, you know. That's, uh, but I, I just, we chuckled, and he chuckled back. I, I, that got me thinking, you know, what, what really is the dream that you want to live? What, what, what's your definition of a good life? Ah, the good life, right? We all want to live the good life. Years ago, there was a commercial, uh, beer commercials, I'm sorry to say, tend to be the better commercials on TV. They, they uh, have some good ones. And uh, this one was... Uh, was an old Milwaukee beer commercial, and uh, they had a series of these. So this one setting was in, on this beautiful lake, and, and uh, people were on the shore and on a dock, and they were just all these really good-looking, lovely people were all happy and enjoying themselves and, and just having this greatest time. And then the camera zeroes in on, on, on two people, and, and uh, the guy says, oh, it doesn't get any better than this. And it just makes you want to go out and buy old Milwaukee beer, you know? Don't do it. It's not very good beer, trust me. I have it on good authority. Uh, but I, there's something about, oh, yeah, I want to be on that dock. I want to be like those people. I want to look like those people. I, I, that, that's ah, the good life. What, what is it that we really want when we talk about the good life? There are other times in our lives that we think, you know, I want a situation better than the one I'm in, and that's your definition of the good life. One of the favorite books that I've read over the years is Band of Brothers by Stephen Ambrose. It's a uh, history of Easy Company, a, a 506th Regiment of the 101st Airborne Division during World War II. And uh, they, were, they were, I think, the, the, the company that saw the most action of any company in all of the 101st Airborne uh, during World War II. It, it's, a, it's a remarkable history. If you have a chance to read it, I'd recommend it. And, and uh, HBO uh, with uh, Tom Hanks did a video series of that, 10 episodes, Band of Brothers. It came out early 2000s. And uh, they are riveting to watch. And uh, there's so much there that I can't even begin to tell you. But my favorite episode is episode two. And episode two uh, is after their training, the first episode, uh, you know, their training, and they go over to England. But episode two is D-Day. Episode two is the first time they really go into action. And Easy Company parachutes behind enemy lines, and uh, they congregate in a little French town in Normandy called Braycourt. And uh, a first lieutenant by the name of Richard Winters is, is given the task of assembling men together so he could go and take out some German batteries that were still firing on our, on our troops that were uh, landing on the beaches. And uh, it is heart-pounding and riveting as you watch uh, these men uh, take out these, these guns and bravely win the day. 
But one of the most poignant scenes is at the end of that episode, and it's, it's recorded in the book as well. Richard Winters, Dick Winters, uh, is sitting alone, and uh, the, he narrates, uh, the narrator reads what, what he wrote uh, during that time. These were the words. If somehow, he said, I manage to get home again, I promised God and myself that I would find a quiet piece of land someplace and spend the rest of my life in peace. That for him was the good life. So what is it you want? What is it that I want in terms of making our lives better, making our lives good? And I want us to look at the passage where we are in the middle of James. It's James chapter 3. And uh, we are going to look at verses 13 through 18. And I'd like to read that passage for you. Uh, it's in your bulletins or you can pull your Bibles out as I read it for you. Starting with verse 13 of James 3. Who is wise? and understanding among you. Let them show it by their good life. There's, there's our phrase right there in the passage, their good life. By deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For, earthly, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of God. So remember, this, this book written by this man, James, uh, most scholars believe the half-brother of Jesus. It's one of the earliest of all the New Testament writings. It's a, it's a letter that was circulated to the Jewish believers in Jesus uh, in Jerusalem and all the surrounding cities. And this letter was circulated. And uh, James writes in a very straightforward, uh, a, a, very, uh, a very clear manner. And, and scholars, we've told you, probably weeks ago, scholars believe that James is, is sort of like the Proverbs of the New Testament. He writes in that Hebrew style that's reminiscent of the Proverbs. And this passage is a great illustration of that. There's a, the contrast that's made, and it's made in, in uh, Hebrew poetry. The contrast is made all the time. You have earthly wisdom, you have heavenly wisdom. And, and what are the difference? What, what does each consist of? How do they differ? So uh, I just want us to look Briefly, first of all, at what he says earthly wisdom is, and then we'll, we'll get to the heavenly wisdom and, and make the application. The first thing he says about earthly wisdom is that there is bitter envy. There is bitter envy. Interesting phrase, isn't it? You have envy and selfish ambition and disorder, but it starts with, with bitter envy. The word, the word there is the same word we get, uh, the, our English word zeal, uh, strong emotions. And uh, the Greek word is zealos, uh, and uh, it's translated uh, uh, jealousy in, in some, some translations. Uh, interesting, that the, that root in Greek comes from the word zeo, which means to boil. And so you've got the picture of someone who is looking at someone else, and because they want whatever that person has so badly, it's like their emotions boil over. There's bitter envy. It's a person that says, I'll spend my life desiring what I cannot have. 
Now, earlier in this letter, James takes on the attitude of the early church that they had toward rich people, and, and he talked very strongly against any kind of honoring someone with wealth over someone who did not have wealth. But this passage, he takes on those who really don't have wealth, who tend to look at people who have things they don't and, and begin to envy them. And he challenges them uh, not to do it and stay true to the gospel. Uh, I don't know if any of you are old enough to remember, but do you remember the show Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous? Anybody remember that show? It is, it is uh, don't bother going back and look at the archives. It's, it's sort of a, a vacuous kind of show, but every, every episode, um, the host, Robin Leach, who had this marvelous English accent that I can't even begin to, to uh, imitate, he would uh, take us to the home of some famous actor or actress or sports figure, some wealthy beyond imagination person, and, and show us how they lived, what they did, where they went on vacation. He would just, I didn't watch many of the episodes because I would just sit and I'd just be in envy the whole time. Why can't I be that person, right? And, and uh, I remember the show was so silly. He ended every every show by saying champagne wishes and caviar dreams. That's really encouraging, isn't it? Champagne wishes and caviar dreams. It, it, it touched into something, though. A good friend of mine said recently, envy is the only sin which gives no pleasure. Isn't that interesting? I thought it was right on the money. Envy is the only sin that gives no pleasure. I see people who have things that I don't, and you know, I, I try not to, to envy that, but sometimes it's just like, wow, why can't I have that? Or that would be, that would really truly make me happy. We live in the wealthiest nation in the world, but we live uh, in, in a culture that there's a lot of, of wishing for things that, that we do not have. Remember years ago, uh, there was a protest move. It swept the nation. They called themselves the 99 percenters, people who were, who were very upset that there was 1% of our, of our nation that, that made the vast majority of the wealth. And they wanted some of that wealth for themselves. They felt that those, those folks should, should share that wealth with them. And they had protests all over the country. Remember the big one in New York City? They, people protested for months. They'd stayed in the same location. It, and, and the one thing that they, they had that was so obvious is they were just all really angry. Now, I think we should share our wealth. And I don't think, you know, people should hoard wealth. I think, I think there needs to be generosity. And certainly that's what we're called to as believers. But it's interesting that this bitterness grew in that way. The only live demonstration that I saw was in, of all places, Annapolis. We were there for a wedding one weekend, and they had a protest downtown Annapolis. It wasn't a very big group of people. But, you know, I just, they were just all so upset. And I don't know what, uh, you know, what uh, purpose they had to the point of getting to any conclusion of that. James is saying, you don't, you don't want to stay envious of other people. You, you don't want to stay because all it leads to is bitterness. He says, another part of earthly wisdom is self, selfish ambition. Uh, the Greek word erethia is, is translated am, selfish ambition here. It actually is, is the root for uh, the Greek word for a hired laborer. And with the, with the whole context meaning uh, sort of like someone who comes as a mercenary. Someone you hire to do a job, they have no real interest in, in, in uh what you're doing or accomplishing outside of you pay them money for it. That's their only interest. 
And that's the root of this whole idea of, of selfish ambition. There, there are people that say, I just want to get ahead. You know, I just, I just want to get ahead. I, I, and, and my response is, ahead of what? what? What are we getting ahead of? Tom Wolfe wrote a book uh, called The Bonfire of the Van Vanities years ago, and, and it was a story of a bond trader in, in, uh, on Wall Street. And uh, the first half of the book is this man plotting uh, this intricate strategy whereby at, on one particular day, after he makes all these trades, he can make the deal of a lifetime, make millions upon millions of dollars and retire early. And you just, you, you see him line it up, you, you get excited as it gets, close to the day and uh, he's living a lavish lifestyle. He's making a lot of money as it is, but he's spending it very, uh, very uh, easily and, and lavishly on himself and his family. And then it gets to the day and everything falls apart. Everything crumbles. Bonfire of the vanities. And you go, oh, okay. There's, there's this ambition that takes us in a place where, where it doesn't lead to a good result. The rest of the book isn't very good. Just read the first half and then put it away. I'm just, that's my personal opinion. You know, Jesus, Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he didn't in the Lord's Prayer say, pray, give us this day our windfall so we could feel secure, right? He said, give us, pray in this way, give us this day, today, our daily bread, what we need the thing that I, I was convicted of as I read this passage and studied for it is, is how often I can get distracted by just wanting that little bit more. There, I, I want a better position. I want a little bit better portfolio, all that. That doesn't lead to anything that's heavenly. It's earthly wisdom, and it falls apart eventually. The last thing he says, it's earthly wisdom has disorder, which basically talks about, you know, I look at that in disorder. Is it just, a, is, is it just like a confused life or what? Everything's, no, it's more along the lines of wrong priorities. Wrong priorities. What are your priorities in your life? The Greek, Greek word here uh, has it about it the, the idea of anarchy, just absolute chaos. And what James is saying here is, look, Earthly wisdom, you have nothing to stand on. You don't have any principle. You don't have any truth. It's just whatever you feel like doing at any, any point of time, any day, any week, any month, any year, you get to do it. But it leads to destruction. It leads to chaos. It leads to anarchy, to, to disorder. My wife uh, uh, is in a ministry that uh, her particular focus is she, she's got this wonderful tool where she uh, we'll, we'll go to groups of women, and it's called the Significant Woman, and they go through a process where they, in part, will determine what they call their core values, five core values. And spiritually focused, and, and I, I'm just amazed at, at uh, the impact it has. She's gone all over the world, translating all sorts of languages, but, but how, how people respond to this whole idea, okay, what is it that I'm really about? Earthly wisdom says, you're not going to know what your core values are. But my wife, when she just makes a decision, she's got, okay, here, back to my core values. This is, this is how I need to base my life. It's not the way it is with the world. You probably heard this. I've heard this long ago, but I always like this statement. Uh, a man saying, I, I climbed the ladder of success my whole life 
only to find out was leaning up against the wrong wall. You ever, you ever hear that statement? What's, what's, what's your idea of success? I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and, and uh, he's a good man and, and worked really hard, built a company from scratch, sold it for a fabulous sum, and he's still relatively young, and, and uh, he's now doing really good work with, uh, with other companies and helping, helping people. He's very philanthropic, but he has a lot of money. And uh, it, sometimes you go, oh, I wish I were him, right? And I remember we were talking one day, and, and he's relating some things that he's going through. And he, I remember he looked at me, he said, on my couch, he always looked at me, and he said, you know, I made all this money. I'm glad I did. God blessed me with it. But I thought I would be worry-free, and I'm under more stress now than I've ever been in my entire life. What's that all about, right? He's looking at me. I said, well, you could share some of it with me if you'd like. I could share that stress with you. And I didn't say that. But isn't it interesting? James is saying, look, if you want, if you want a good life, you've got to put aside those, those things. Bitter envy, selfish ambition, disorder. And then he gives this list, starting with verse 17. And, and I don't know how, how you are when you come to these lists. I go, okay, here's another list, and you sort of go through them. That's nice, that's nice, that's nice. But you look at those, wor those words, they, they all have weight to them. The wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Oh, okay. This is, this is where James is saying, this is where you need to focus. If you want to, to, to align your life in a way that's going to please God and do what he wants and to really live the life that we all want to live, these are the things that need to be an integral part of your life. Now, that's a long list, and I don't have time to go through each of those, those uh, uh, attributes, but I've, I've picked three of them. Uh, three that, uh, as I was reading through, the, spoke especially to me, and I really wanted to do a study just because uh, I felt it would be helpful to me. Um, and plus, if you don't get any advantage from this sermon, at least you know I got some advantage from this sermon, right? Okay, so these are the three that I, that I, I picked out of this list that I wanted to apply especially to me, and hopefully you can uh, join with me in some of that application. The first one is the first word in that list, pure. Wisdom from heaven is first pure. Same root as the word holy, set apart, God-like. God being absolutely without fault, without sin. Harley Proctor in, uh, in the 1880s was a businessman and, and uh, he was passionate about one thing and that was soap. And uh, he had a product that he absolutely loved and developed and uh, he named it after a, a, a verse in Psalm 45 that talked about ivory palaces. He named his soap Ivory Soap. Proctor, Harvey Proctor of Proctor & Gamble. Still, companies still exist today. And uh, they still make ivory soap. Uh, there are a couple things about ivory soap that are, that are noteworthy. Anyone know what those are? It floats, yes, it still floats. Uh, ivory soap still floats. Uh, there's an apocryphal story that the, a workman fell asleep at the vat with making the soap and it got too much air in it and they sent it out and hey, it floats and that, that's it. Well, let's keep it up, but it's sort of apocryphal. What's the other thing about ivory soap? 99 and 44, 100% pure. 
That is very good. And there was someone in the first service that had that too. And that's remarkable that you know that. And uh, God will bless you for that. Thank you. 99 and 44, 100% pure. That, Harvey Proctor sent it out to an independent lab and they did the tests. And that's been on their advertisement ever since. 99 and 44, 100% pure. Interesting, isn't it? Purity. Think about that word, purity. Purity without fault, without blemish, without spot, no contaminants. To have heavenly wisdom, we need to move away from the contamination of sin. Here's my application. Do I lead a pure life? I'm okay by comparison because I can always find someone who's worse off than I am. I really can. Some of you are out there. And uh, that's not the standard. Pure life is what God caused all of us to live. There's a list that Paul writes in Galatians talking about what a pure life is not. No pride, no selfishness, no lust, no envy. There's one of our words. No sexual immorality. No drunkenness, no hatred, no discord, no jealousy, no fits of rage. But you know what? The first part of that list has this word, the word impurity. The acts of the flesh begin with impurity. Then he talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, fruit of the spirit. God's spirit lives in us. That leads us to a pure life. I was reading recently an article that talking about uh, Netflix and, and uh, their impact on, on our culture. And, and what was interesting recently is, is the most popular shows now on Netflix are not made in this country. They're, they're not American made, nor are they British made. They are uh, made overseas. And the absolute far and away most popular are, are these television series, these, these uh, episodes made in Korea. And uh, they are all subtitled, and uh, they are taking Netflix by storm. And the article went on to say it's fascinating that it is because they are, they are very, very focused. They're great acting, great plots, very intricate plots, but they, have, they, have no, they have, don't have a whole lot of uh, negative things in them, uh, no inappropriate sexual. So he said there's, there's a, a, the, the closest people get is maybe a, a, a quick kiss, and that's it. And they, they're amazed that people are so attracted to these shows. But I will tell you what's attractive about those shows in part. Is there something attractive about purity? Our culture mocks it at times. But there's something very attractive and very godlike when it comes to purity. One of the other words I picked out was the word submissive. Oh, okay. Heavenly wisdom has about a, a, a submission there. Of course, a submission to God. Uh, the, um, the word is sometimes misunderstood, sub submission being, okay, I don't want to be under someone's control. But this is, this, this is not so much being under someone's control, but, but, so, but having confidence in someone so you can follow their lead. James is saying, if you have confidence in God, you can follow his direction and follow his lead. Daily. A year ago, I spent uh, a good uh, time with a friend of mine in Salem, Oregon. I, I uh, was with him in college. He was a student. I was in ministry at, at college in, in Minnesota. He went on to become an orthodontist in Salem, but he has a great ministry through Bible Study Fellowship. And 
We hadn't caught up in years. We had a great time together. So he said, hey, I want to show you my office. It was a holiday and he's an orth orthodontist. So uh, he had a new office that had just been constructed. So I followed his car. He had this really cool orange Mini Cooper. It was so cool. And, uh, and I was following him uh, to his office and he had this little, little sticker in this back window. And uh, I, this is as close as I can get to it. This, is, this was his sticker. And I thought, what is that? And what does that mean? I thought maybe some cool surfing kind of company, which I think would still be cool if I could do a surfboard and call it whatever. But, but uh, and then he got out of the car and he told me what it was. And I thought, well, that's cool. And then I forgot about it until my wife and I were, were uh, on an anniversary trip. We, we finally made it to Hawaii and I saw two cars with that sticker on. Do you know what that symbolizes? Anybody know what that symbolizes? Yeah, yeah, well, you, you, you're smarter than I am. Uh, <laughs> he, God, and that's of course the mathematical symbol for greater than I. He is greater than I. That's pretty neat. What a great reminder. I saw that on a couple of cars in Hawaii. I'm going, oh yeah. You know what it's a reminder of to me? It's a reminder that I want my life to be lived trusting God. And my question to myself as I study this is, will I continually submit to him? Not when I just want to or when it's convenient, but will I follow what God wants me to do? The last one that I have is the last one in that list, sincere, sincere. Heavenly wisdom is sincere. Let your yes be yes. James quotes Jesus later on in this letter. We'll get to it in a week or so. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. Jesus says, don't swear by heaven or by the temple. Don't, don't make a big fancy thing. Just say it and say it truthfully. Don't equivocate, don't spin. So no spin, no equivocation, no partial truths. And the question that I ask myself is, will I, will I tell the truth all the time? OJ talked about the tongue last week, did a great job talking about what the tongue does. And, and uh, one of the things the tongue gets us in trouble uh, with is when we don't speak the truth or just partial truth, or even when we don't say things that we should say. I'm a firstborn and uh, I, I do family therapy and uh, it's my experience and, and studies show that firstborns tend to be a little bit more on the, we're not gonna tell the whole truth side. Do you know why? Because firstborns wanna be perfect. They want, they want acceptance at all times. They wanna live up to their adult uh, uh, parents. And uh, I can, you know, I'm a firstborn and I have to confess, I tend to spin a little bit. That's an honor God. There's no heavenly wisdom in that. that I was reading a book recently called The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. A Duke professor wrote this book. It's a whole book on, on how people lie in our culture. It's really encouraging, isn't it? The subtitle is How We Lie to Everyone. And um, in it, he, he uh, quotes this uh, professor from Eastern Connecticut State University, and they have chronicled how students will lie to get out of uh, exams. And uh, they, they tried to, to figure out, okay, what's, what's the most used excuse? So Mike Adams, this professor from Eastern Connecticut, writes this. He says, grandmothers are 10 times more likely to die before midterms and 19 times more likely to die before a final exam. <laughs> Worse, grandmothers of students who are not doing well are even at a higher risk. 
Students who are fa failing are 50 times more likely to lose grandma than non-failing students. It turns out that the greatest prediction of mortality among senior citizens ends up being their grandchildren's GPAs. <laughs> the more of all this is, do not let your grandchild go to college, it'll kill you. <laughs> Especially if he or she is intellectually challenged. Isn't that great? <laughs> ah, won't hurt, we'll spin, we'll, no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Well, why should I do this? You, you might think, well, you know, what does it matter? It matters because we have a God who calls us to something better than we have. You know what he's calling us to? He's calling us to a good life. But it's a good life, not that I get a bunch of stuff. I'm blessed, you're blessed too. But it's a good life is that we get to love and cherish the one who gave us life, our lives itself. And we get to enjoy his pleasure and his blessing as a result. So what will it take? What will it take to switch from earthly wisdom to heavenly wisdom? We'll take a war, crisis, health scare, broken relationship, a lawsuit, a bankruptcy. Maybe it'll even take you being unbelievably successful so you will know, oh, this really doesn't satisfy the way I thought it might. If somehow I managed to get home again, I promised God and myself that I would find a quiet place, a quiet piece of land and spend the rest of my life in peace. Whatever you're in, wherever you are right now, we are called to think in a heavenly way. So as we come to the communion table uh, in, in just a few minutes, I want us to pray before we come and then ask God, okay, where is it that I'm missing out in terms of, of your best for me? Where is my thinking wrong? How can I turn my thinking from earthly wisdom to heavenly wisdom? Because it is Christ who came so we could have the good life.